Here's my question for you. If a best friend described you, what nouns or adjectives or realities or promises would they say about you? If they got together and we met your best friend, what repeated theme or what adventures would they share or stories would they tell? Maybe it would go something like this. Well, when we're with her, she always has a joke. Or you can always count on him when you need some help or a tool or whatever. As a pastor, um, I hear different memories or stories that are told at different social gatherings. It might be a wedding or it might be a, a groom's dinner and someone will share an adventure or a story. There are tender moments where sh stories are told and that, are, that is at a, at a funeral or maybe it's a, a family reception. But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a best friend of Jesus. And the person I'm talking about is John. John chapter 20, verse 2. It says that Je John is called the disciple that Jesus loved. And scholars see that repeated phrase actually six times. And the theme that John picks up is our theme this morning in describing his best friend Jesus. And that theme is one of light. Now this is, we're making this the fifth Sunday of Advent. Technically, I don't know if there are five, but we're going to go with it. So work with me, okay? We started by looking at the first candle, and that was hope. And then we looked at the second theme for Advent, and that was faith. Pastor Brian gave a message about peace. And then we looked at the Advent theme last week of joy. And Christ is the Christ candle. He's the fifth. He, that's why he's here, but he is the light of lights. And here's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about the light of lights. We're going to look at what John writes about Jesus as in, in a noun, and that is he, this. He is the light of lights. And then John's writing, then we're going to look at what he does in the epistles. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we'll look at the reality of this light of lights. And then finally, John also wrote an apocalyptic, some prophetic literature as well, too, way at the end of the Bible, the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And we'll see that light, we'll see that light in the promise of that light. That's where we're going to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. King David said in Psalm 62, verses 10 through 11, one thing I declare that God has spoken, and two things that I've heard, that you, O God, Elohim creator, are powerful, and you, O Lord, Adonai, are merciful, loving, and compassionate. Lord, as your people, we are grateful for everything you provide. But the greatest gift is life forever for those who trust you and know you as Savior. You are 100% good. You are the light of the world. And that light will go on forever and throughout eternity. So open our eyes to this light. Soften our hearts to this light. Show us doubts and sin in light of this light. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. And we pray that you would grant us to spiritually see what we naturally can't. And so I ask that you would extend your fame and that you would glorify your name and may your kingdom come during this message and through the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Once again, as we do, I want to invite you to find a bulletin or look on the back. There's a way of following along. I think you'll get more out of the message as well too. But let's just jump in right away and let's read what uh, man, here we go 
The light of lights is like no other. That's the first thing that we want to say. The light of lights is like no other. In Christ, Jesus, just to be clear, he is the light of lights. I invite you to turn to John chapter 1 if you have a copy of the Bible. There's a pew copy there. It's on page 911. Let me read from you, beginning in John 1, going through verse 5. It says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, the word, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not extinguished it or put it out or put it down. That's what that means. The first two words that God ever spoke in Genesis 1-3 was this, let there be light. Now that's simple, but don't let the simplicity fool you. This light was not stumbled upon by chance or by careful engineering, but worded into existence. Light shines from the face of the Father and specifically his mouth. I'm finishing up a devotional book and I liked it so much I bought five copies for my brother-in-laws for Christmas. So if any of you are watching, act surprised next weekend and say something like, oh Kirk, I had no idea. That would be great. Okay? But it's called Unveiled Mercy. It's by Chad Bird and he wrote this about Genesis 1-3, he said, this light is more profound light than the sun, moon, and stars, which will be created on day four. The light chains the darkness. Did you hear that? The light chains the darkness, and it erects a barrier between night and day, and it says to darkness, here you shall go and no further. To flourish in this light is to escape darkness and thrive before the radiant face of God. The first words of God point to the lights, light of lights, Jesus, and Christ alone shatters the cosmic midnight in our hearts. Jesus, when he turns to you, bursts forth the life-giving light of the Father. Think about the benediction. Every time the benediction is said, we say this, now may he turn his face towards you, his light that transforms you into his image. Now you may say, how come the darkness continues on and on and on and on? If you turn in John's account over just one page to John chapter 3, we read the most famous account in all of Scripture, or the, at least the most famous verse in all of Scripture. The setting is a man who comes at night in the darkness to ask questions about Jesus, who is the light of lights. And Jesus says in John 3, 16, this very familiar verse, and then we'll continue to read, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is what the verdict, powerful word there, this is what the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth 
comes into the light so that it might be plainly, so it might be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is not flattering language. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 a situation that all of us, and it's this repeated theme again and again and again and again and again that pounds in Romans chapter 3 again and again. No one, no one, no one, no one. We're all in this bucket together. In Romans chapter 3 verses 10, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes as inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poisonous of vipers is on their lips, and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, in summary, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. I mean, you hear this and you go, oh my word, Paul, like what kind of hope do we have then? You read this and this is good news? Well, here's the hope. If you turn to John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What follows is this incredible conversation that Jesus has, declaring himself to be God. When you hear people say, Jesus never claimed himself to be God, yes, he did. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, that's not code language. His listeners understood him so clearly you'll see that they picked up rocks to kill him and to stone him. The hope that we have is that the light of lights has come and there is no other like him. No one can compare to him. Let me give you two verses that you can take as a check and you can deposit it in your heart. Here they are. Write this down. Write this verse down, Isaiah 33, verse 6. We had a friend who sent a Christmas card, and Julie said, did you read their card? And I went, I did the classic guy thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, did you read the card? And Julie shared Isaiah 33, 6, and I've been living in this and thinking about this. It's this. He will be the sure foundation or the stability of your times. A rich store of salvation, of wisdom, and of knowledge the fear of the Lord is the key to this, and the Spanish word is really cool, el tesoro. He will be your treasure. If someone came to you and said, we're in 2022, I hope it's going to be better, what would you say if someone said, well, would you like a treasure? I have a treasure for you. That's what that verse says. Stability in your times. Here's the second verse that you can deposit in your heart. 
It comes from Daniel chapter 2, verses 22. And the setting for this verse is incredible. Daniel has become one of the interpreters of a dream, and none of the secular counselors or dreamers can interpret the king's dream, except God showed to Daniel what is true. And this is what Daniel said, and I want you to live in the truth of what's here. Daniel said, you explain deep mysteries because even the dark is light to you. Even the dark is light to you. Another translation says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the dark, and light lives within him. He is the light of life, and there is no one else like him. Many of us have enjoyed Paul David Tripp's work, his devotional work in Advent, and also some others. He writes this about the verse. God is with you in your moments of darkness because he will never leave you. But your darkness isn't dark to him. Your mysteries are not mysterious to him. Your surprises don't surprise him. He understands all the things that confuse you the most. Not only are your mysteries not mysterious to him, but he is in complete charge of all that's mysterious to you and me. And he holds both you and your mysteries in his gracious hands. And because he does, you can find rest even when the darkness of mystery has entered your door. Wow! He is the light of lights. He is like no other. The good friend of John then brings us into the epistles. And he gives us this reality. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he writes this, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Another translation says, there is no hint of darkness. You can explore him, you can follow him, you will find no inconsistencies. In fact, what you will find is wonder and awe and power and glory. There is no one like him. I shared this at the Christmas Eve service. There's a book club that I'm a part of on Tuesday nights. People from all around the country gather, and I am learning from a fellow by the name of Jane Warner Wallace, a person of interest. I am learning that the impact of Christ and the impact that he has on his followers has influenced history, but has influenced education, literature, science, and music like no one else. You could say, how does Jesus impact? Well, it's through his followers and what he's transformed his followers to be. Men and women who are made in the image and the likeness of God Almighty. And those people in the name of Christ have impacted literature and education and science and music. And it is fascinating. John goes on to say, in 1 John 2, 9 through 11, this idea about light seeping into our relationships. Listen to what he says in 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know what they're going because the darkness has blinded them. 
the light of Christ seeps into relationships and affects one another and people that we live life with. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to have breakfast with a delightful pastor. And we met for breakfast, and I looked at Nick, and I said to him, Nick, what would you say? What would you say to yourself in March of 2020? And he looked at me, and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, here we are, December of 2021, and we have lived in a global pandemic and political unrest and unbelievable anger, and what's next? What would you say to yourself, knowing what you've gone through now, what would you say to yourself in March of 2020? What would you want to say after all that you've learned? And this is what my friend Nick said. He said, Kirk, what I'd say to myself is this, protect the sweet unity and witness of the church of Jesus Christ. Lift him up. Lift up Jesus. Point to Jesus. Point to the cross. Remind people again and again we are people of the cross. Remind them of the power of the cross. Point them to the cross. Let them see the cross. Don't let them forget the cross, the cross, the cross. In Jesus' most powerful sermon, in fact, we could say it's the most influential sermon ever. Now, that's a big, that's a big statement. But the reason why we can say that is it was Jesus' sermon and it was the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is this famous sermon. In fact, we spent over 10 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount this fall when we walked through the Lord's Prayer. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, after the Beatitudes, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 5, 14 through 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We teach our little children this song, and it never gets old. Hide it under a bushel. I guess so. No! I'm going to let it shine. Jesus goes on to say, Instead, you put it in a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A man who influenced C.S. Lewis was a British lay theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He lived as Hitler was taking power, and he was a Brit. He said these last words on his deathbed. The issue is now clear. It is light and darkness, and everyone must choose a side. Let me repeat that. He said the issue is now clear. It is light and darkness, and everyone must choose a side. Jesus' good friend John describes Jesus in many ways that you could describe him. He described him as the light of lights, and there is no other. And then in his epistles, he tells about this reality that we love darkness. But out of that, we have to realize as God's people, we are transformed, and that affects our relationships, and people are watching. They really are watching. Finally, John writes some apocalyptic literature. Now, the book of Revelation is filled with promises and pictures. Ultimately, the book of Revelation is to encourage 
the follower of Jesus. It's to encourage us, not only that the end times are coming, but at the end of time, he is coming. And that's the good news. And even in the book of Revelation, with all its heavy stuff, there is light that permeates throughout the book. In fact, we meet Jesus this way. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, it says this. Look this verse up if you have a Bible. Easy to find the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Here is a description of Jesus. And think about how he emanates light. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all his brilliance. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. He emanates light. And this is what John saw. When Jesus was on planet Earth... He was transformed, but then only Peter, James, and John got to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration. But when he comes again, millions will see him. I get to see him. And what's he like? Well, the person of the first advent is the light of the second advent, and he's coming again. He's coming again. When you come to the end of the book of Revelation and Revelation 21 through 27, we read this. You can find this in your Bibles. John writes, I do not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temples. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This city that God himself illuminates. You may say that's a pretty bold thing to say if you go to the next verse, you'll find something that sounds a little bit familiar. Christians for 2,000 years have confessed the words of their faith and the words of the Apostles' Creed. We say it every month when we take communion. We say these words, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Same kind of language is used in Revelation 22, verse 5. Revelation 22, verse 5 says this, There is no more night. They will not need the light, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the, and listen to the literal words in verse 22, verse 5, for the Lord, which is kurios, that's the word, God, which is theos, which means almighty, will enlighten them. And the word that's used is the word photisma, or photo, or to bring light, or to illuminate, or to make clear the manifestation of God's self-existent life. You've heard me say this before. C.S. Lewis says that probably the first two words 
that we might say when we get to heaven is this. Of course. Of course. It now makes sense. Because we see everything illuminated by who God Almighty is and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So let me end with this short story. There's a man by the name of John Bertram Phillips, more well-known as J.B. Phillips. He was an English clergyman who was very prominent during World War II. He wrote a paraphrase of the New Testament in 1958 called The New Testament in Modern English. And as he described his writing of this new translation of the New Testament, he called it an extraordinary experience as he interacted with the Word of God. Most people know it historically as the Phillips translation, not real creative. But two years prior to him writing the Phillips translation, he wrote a short story, a fictional story, of two celestial beings having a conversation. We assume that they were perpetually, before this, always in the presence of royalty, God Almighty. And we pick up from this messengers of God a fresh perspective about the limitations of earthbound thinking. And for a while, we detach ourselves from this world as we go into the next. This short story is entitled The Angel's Viewpoint or The Visited Planet. It goes like this. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown around the splendors and the glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to be tired and a little bored. He had been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, infinite distances in the deathly cold of interstellar space, and his mind there seemed to be full with an awful lot of it. Finally, he was shown the galaxy on which our planetary system is but a small part. As the two of them drew near the star where we call our sun into its encircling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant spear turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball. And to the little angels whose mind was filled with the size of glory of what he had seen, the senior angel said, I want you to watch that one particularly. Well, it looks very small. And rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied the senior angel, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little one. You don't mean visited by. Indeed, I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant, and not perhaps overclean, has been visited by our young prince of glory. And at that words, the senior angel bowed his head reverently. But how? asked the younger angel. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince with all these wonders and splendors of his creation and millions more that I'm sure I haven't seen yet went down to this in person to this fifth-rated little ball? Why would he do a thing like that? It isn't for us, said the senior angel a little stiffly, to question his whys. Except I must point out that he is not impressed by size and numbers as you seem to be, but that he really went, I know, but that he really went, I know. And all of us in heaven who know anything about that know that. 
As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose he could visit them? With that, the little angel wrinkled his voice in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creepy, crawly creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creepy, crawly creatures in that tone of voice. For as strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them and to lift them up to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was an almost beyond his comprehension. Now close your eyes for a moment, said the senior angel, and we will go back to what they call time. And while the angel's eyes were closed and the two of them moved nearer to the spinning ball, it seemed to stop its spinning, and it spun backwards quite fast for a while and then slowly resumed its usual rotation. Now look. And as the little angel did as he was told, there appeared here and there on the dull surface of the globe little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a while. What am I missing now? queried the little angel. You are watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago, returned the senior angel. Every flash and glow of light that you see is something of our Father's knowledge and wisdom breaking into the minds and hearts of people who live upon the earth. Not many people, you see, can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he's speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. Why are they so blind and deaf and stupid? asked the junior angel rather crossly. It's not for us to judge them. We who live in the splendor have no idea what it's like to live in the dark. We hear the music and the voice like the sound of many waters every day of our lives. But to them, well, there is much darkness and much noise and much distraction upon the earth. Only a few who are quiet and humble and wise hear his voice. But watch. Watch for in a moment you will see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling around the sun. And then quite suddenly in the upper half of the globe, there appeared a light, tiny but so bright in its intensity that both the angels hid their eyes. I think I can guess, said the little angel in a low voice. This was the visit, wasn't it? Yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived amongst them, but in a moment you'll be able to tell that even with your eyes closed, the light will go out. But why? Why? Could he not bear their darkness and stupidity? Did he have to return here? No, it wasn't that, returned the senior angel. His voice was stern and said, they failed to recognize him for who he was, or at least only a handful knew him. And for the most part, they preferred their darkness to his light, and in the end, they killed him. The fools! The crazy fools! They don't deserve... Neither you, nor I, nor any other angel knows why they were so foolish and so wicked. Nor can we say what they deserve or don't deserve. But the fact remains, they killed our Prince of Glory while he was among them. And that, I suppose, was the end? I see the whole earth has gone black and dark. All right, I won't judge them, but is that all that they could expect? Wait. Wait, we are still far from the end of the story of the visited planet. Watch now and be ready to cover your eyes again. In utter blackness, the earth turned around three times. And there blazed with unbearable brilliance a point of light. 
what now? Asked the little angel, shielding his eyes. They killed him, all right. But he conquered death. The thing most of them dread and fear all their life, he broke and he conquered. He rose again, and a few of them saw him. And from then on, they became his utterly devoted servants. Thank God for that, said the little angel. Now open your eyes. The dazzling light has gone. The prince has returned to his home of light, but watch the earth now. And as they looked in the place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then as the earth turned many times, little lights spread out. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the light burned steadily. And as they continued to watch in many parts, the globe, there was a glow over many areas. You see what's happening, said the senior angel. The bright light is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow, and now lights begin to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently. But how does it end? Will the little lights join up with each other? Will it all be light as it is in heaven? The senior angel shook his head. We simply do not know. It is in the Father's hands. Sometimes it's agony to watch, and sometimes it's a joy unspeakable. The end is not yet. But now I'm sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He has visited us. He is working out his plan upon it. The little angel said, Yes, I see. Though I do not understand, I shall never forget that this is the visited planet. Now, is that imaginary? Of course it is. Fanciful, maybe. But it's true in this regards. It's true that this is the visited planet. It's also true, the book of Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that there's been a great war that's always been going on. And that great war happened in intensity when Christ came in the flesh in the manger. We are involved in a battle. We're involved in a battle of a spiritual kind against sin, death, and the power of the devil. Because ultimately, the light of life, the one who has a seeping effect because it affects our relationships, he's going to come again. He's a day closer to coming again. And he's ready for his bride. We're the church. And we reflect the light of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered on this Sunday morning. I thank you that you visited our world. And I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage our souls that there is no darkness in you. And that light lives within you. When we walk into dark times, I pray that we'll remember that you hold us and you hold the mystery of darkness in your hand. We can trust you. We can love you. We can trust your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for spiritual gifts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the many provisions that you equip us with. The armor of faith goes on and on and on. Thank you. You don't leave us alone. Your name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. 
So as we walk out these doors, we face a new year. Thank you that your promises are true and you have no intention to break any of them. In Christ's name, amen.